Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, June 6th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. It feels like summer has really kicked off. I got my vaccine Friday, and it's just in time for everything to open up in Montreal, which, while I feel a bit late to the club on the vaccine party, as most of the people I know had been vaccinated weeks before, it's really nice that by the time I have that, like, majority immunity pretty much everything in montreal is going to be open and i don't have to sit on my ass and wait like well i'm good why can't we do things so summer's starting and it feels good yes it definitely feels good that heat was uh pretty unbearable today but had to get outside at some point enjoy the weather do the most that you could a little bit of hoops for me a little bit of tennis just Soaking in the sun, maybe a little bit too much. I'm a little red, but not too bad. And <laughs> yeah, it, it, we're trying to push Dougie here to open up on the 11th as opposed to the 14th. So that way we get the weekend where things have started to open. I'm just, I'm so ready to go to a patio. I know I already said this, but I just, I'm counting down the days. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it's budget's a little tight on that for me, but just it feels different. I've forgotten what normal, true normalness feels like because it really has been the new normal, but being able to walk inside a mall and not cringe if I see people like not perfectly spaced apart is going to be, I can't even fathom that right now, but I think it'll be very nice. Yeah. There will be an adjustment period of social interaction just being around more mm. people than you have been used to for a long time. But luckily, you and I have been interacting for a couple of months now. So hopefully I know how to string words together in an in-person setting. Um, and we'll get some more practice tonight as we walk you through our basketball storylines, our talking hockey segment, maybe a little bit of baseball, maybe a little bit of combat corner. We'll have our predictions for the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather fight as that is about to get underway right now as we speak. And and as much as you hate the the people involved or the whole idea, it is the biggest entertainment uh on the market right now. And it's truly ridiculous and and frankly like incredible how much interest and eyeballs that they've been able to draw. And you, you gotta at least give them credit for generating so much interest and excitement regarding it. Everyone just wants to see one of them get knocked on their butt. (laughs) It's a bit of a win-win and a bit of a lose-lose there. Yeah. All right. We will kick off with our basketball storylines. And I was hoping by the time of this podcast that I could officially mark the 2021 NBA playoffs as the changing of the guard. Of course, with LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers getting smoked in their own building in game six, Anthony Davis, of course, is a big reason why that series ended the way it did. He uh, left in the first quarter after re-aggravating the groin injury, but the defending champs are out. And if it weren't for a truly brutal performance by the supporting cast of the Dallas Mavericks, we could have seen all brand new faces in the second round of the playoffs, at least in the Western conference. And 
I guess that's where we can start is that Clippers Mavericks game. Uh, Luca, 46 points in a loss and a double digit loss at that basically. And um, just couldn't get there. There had been in the series guys who had been making their shots, shooting at a high percentage and just no number two guy really stepped up for Dallas in this game. Of course, Kawhi was fantastic. And then Paul George, Put in 18 and 10, but that was enough from him. And then Reggie Jackson with a couple of huge threes late in the game. Really, really impressive stuff from him. And normally that's not the guy you want taking those late shots, but if they go in, you can't argue it. Um, and so really disappointing if you're Luca. He really, last year in the bubble already established himself as a one man, like just on the level of some of the best players in the game right now. But this series non-bubble had even more eyeballs on it because more people are in the regular flow of playoff basketball and watching television and consuming the NBA and it was truly his coming out party and I think a lot of people were rooting for him to go on to the second round um, in a year where it looks like things are wide open uh, just across the board and so really unfortunate that Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke, uh, who else ever you want to name, Brunson, even like Boban, no one could really give that secondary scoring that the Mavericks truly needed. And the Clippers got some big shots from their guys. And uh, in the end, they managed to squeak out a seven game series win over the Mavericks once again, uh, a little bit more than they bargained for, but they're able to pass into the second round and they've lined up a date with the Utah Jazz, which will be very interesting going forward. Man, after game six, I kind of saw it going one of two ways like either the clippers totally shut luca down again or like luca figures out gets past them and mavericks win i never thought i'd see what was the stat like 14 assists as well yeah on that 46 points so yeah that's damn i the one that stood out to me was uh, Hardaway going one for nine on the three-pointers because he'd been really consistent and solid, I thought, all playoffs up until that. Um, it, it feels wrong to not also acknowledge Kawhi's game six performance. I, I texted you during that because, holy shit, I three, four like step backs in a row that were just so unguardable and so automatic, that was terrifying. It was a treat for us to watch him in 2019 when he just played so well at such a high level for this Raptors team. I wouldn't say he carried that team because there were a lot of great players up and down the lineup, but when it was winning time, he was the guy with the ball in his hands making those kind of shots, and he turned into that Kawhi for game six and just fabulous, mesmerizing handle. Uh, really tight and then hitting some really really big shots and that's what he's done is in his career and he's going to make a couple more of them as we move into the second round I'm I'm really interested to see how this matchup goes I imagine the Clippers may start big again with Zubac but I just picture them going small and trying to spread things out and get Rudy Gobert guarding guys on the perimeter and then from there it's Driving kick, open shooters in the corners. Utah is going to try and make Morris, Jackson, Batum beat you. But uh, Gobert, I think, is going to get a, exposed a little bit more as opposed to a Utah or, or pardon me, a, a Memphis or 
a Dallas where it goes through kind of one man in a pick and roll and they have a, a bigger center that can't pull Gobert out. Uh, whereas the Clippers can go small and, and really uh, force Gobert to guard outside of the paint. And, and that takes away a lot of his effectiveness as a defender. And Utah doesn't have the, the size on the perimeter to guard a Kawhi and a Paul George, but then you go the other way. Do the Clippers have the necessary perimeter defenders to be able to guard a Donovan Mitchell, uh, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Bo- Bojan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, Beverly, I think will play a bigger role in this series, but he looks a little bit washed at this point in his career. So if you're relying on Reggie Jackson, if you're relying on uh, who else like is a guard for them, I just, I don't know if, if they can get enough perimeter defense either way. So it'll be really interesting to see what the outcome of the series is. Yeah. I, if things go desperate, they've got Kawhi and George to match up and somehow figure out how to deal with the wings. What I'm really interested in as well as Gobert offensively, because I felt like the Clippers didn't really have an answer for uh, Marjanovic. Yeah. Just there were a couple times where like, it was like, if you can get this guy a touch in the paint, like he's getting a fairly uncontested shot off and is as long as he was in rhythm, like he was able to have some really hot stretches. So I, I don't know what the ceiling on Gobert's offense is, but like if the Jazz can figure out how to get him some consistent paint touches, I can see even more damage being done from that position in this series. Yeah, it's going to be tough because if, if the Clippers are switching that high pick and roll with Gobert, then he doesn't have that same effectiveness rolling into the paint uh, uh, in that setting where it becomes kind of two-on-one uh, offense versus defense. So if the, the Clippers are just switching, Gobert doesn't have that polished post-game that can really punish a team that decides to switch. It'll just be he will have to be a presence on the offensive glass in order for him to stay in the game. Because what we've seen is in previous series against like a Houston or a Golden State, he's been run off the court. They haven't been able to play him late in games because it's just, he's pulled out of the paint on defense. And then on offense, he cannot punish opposing teams who go smaller because he doesn't have the same hands in offensive game. Like even Boban, like purely his size makes him a threat, but he has great hands for someone who's that big and that tall, whereas Gobert just doesn't have that same refined post game, short jumpers. It's a lot of dunks for him. And so uh, this could be trouble for Utah, and that's why I have the Clippers picked in seven. Interesting. I I haven't seen enough of Gobert's offense to be definitive, but it it didn't take much from Marjanovic. Like, just easy passes, like not even pick and rolls, just like from the top when the focus is around the perimeter and whoever your small four or five are just couldn't get the hands up or the defense going, and it was a lot of like, five foot, 10 foot away, like finger roll floating type makes, which yeah, I'm going to go jazz. Uh, I don't have a number of games, but second round voodoo for the Clippers, uh, the first place team in the West. And maybe I'm going to eat my words on this, but I I don't think it's going to take all that much special from Gobert, like some simple stuff could do a lot of damage in the middle. 
Well, we will see in a couple days when that series kicks off. It will be the last one out of our second round series to do so. Uh, but before then, we have two Eastern Conference series that have already kicked off. Uh, the first of which last night between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And, and we have already uh, iterated many times our excitement for this series and the potent offense. And of course, what happens? James Harden injured on the very first play of the game and looks like he will already be out for, for game two. Um, really brutal where we were just so excited to see all three of these guys operating at a high level, just endless buckets, but um, he's out with a hamstring injury. That's not great. But then the Brooklyn Nets get some great bench production from Bruce Brown and Mike James operating as like Mike James, especially is unbelievable. I remember he, when he cooked the rappers, uh, the Raptors a couple, a couple of months back, um, hit some step back shots. He was driving on dudes really like supreme confidence from a guy who was playing in Europe earlier this year. And then Bruce Brown is just that get mix it up, uh, hustle defender. And then in the role, he can, he's got the playmaking skills of a guard to really tear defenses apart in the short role. And gate both gave him some great minutes off the bench, trying to replace that hardened production. And then it was just Kevin Durant and Kyrie, man, that third quarter was just awesome. KD, unguardable like he's just all he has to do is turn around and shoot and no one's tall enough to get a hand on it and then Kyrie is like maybe the best finisher at his size uh, of all time him and Allen Iverson are up there together it really really impressive stuff and Kyrie didn't even have the best shooting performance but that third quarter run for the Nets was huge and the Bucks made two threes in the first two minutes of the game and then made two more threes the entire like next three quarters they were ice, ice cold. Um, and that is what happens. Like we saw in the earlier game today, the other Eastern Conference series that we'll get to, a lot of teams live and die by the three. And so Bucks, ice cold, and the Nets 27-0 and when leading after three quarters because they've got these guys that just close games. So effective, being able to find their shots. Um, Kyrie and Katie, man, they just – they get to their spot and they make a shot. And when the Bucks players were trying to respond, Drew Holiday missed a couple layups in tight when he was being physical and, and Chris Middleton had a, a shaky game and hit the narrative that he isn't a great clutch performer is starting to resurface now as he has struggled in previous years in the playoffs, but his role is not to take over. And, and we need to see a little bit more out of Giannis, I think, because they are causing him some trouble. He's scoring a ton of points, obviously, but we need to see a little bit more from him kicking it out to guys who are in rhythm when they're shooting, getting more looks and, and hitting open threes. And sometimes that's not on him, but at the same time, you need to be attacking so that you can set up those wide, wide open threes uh, for your role players. Yeah, we know what we're going to get out of Brooklyn in fairly consistent offense. And the question is just can the Bucks match that enough to like give their defense a chance to try and disrupt the Nets offense as best they can. But if their shooters can't keep up, then it, barring another freak injury, it might not be much of a series. But that just means the Nets team is that good. Yeah, it is incredible that if you're the Bucks, you can't really go down by more than 10 
because Brooklyn's offense is so devastating that you can't go on a run where Brooklyn isn't making a shot. It's like at some point, one one way or the other, Kyrie or KD is going to get to a spot and hit a shot and break your run up. So you really have to try and match offense or give yourself a lead. But if you fall down behind this team, it's really hard to, to claw your way back into the games. And then the last, before I get to the Bucks, or I guess this all ties in together, Milwaukee, after showing us that they were going to try switch defense working with a uh, tinkering with stuff. Mike Budenholzer finally was supposed to be changing the narrative, being an adjustment oriented coach goes right back to familiarity with the drop coverage of Brooke Lopez and the nets torch them for it. It was playmakers driving at Lopez, then kicking it out to Blake Griffin, who was making open threes. And Blake Griffin was awesome. 18 points, 14 rebounds, his best performance as a Brooklyn net. He was hitting open shots and he was diving for loose balls. He was mixing it up all over the offensive glass, uh, had his hands everywhere, stripped a couple guys a couple times. It was really an awesome performance from him, turning himself from the high-flying dunking star into more of a grounded but really versatile, savvy, defensive guy who hits an open shot. Feels a little bit like Iguodala, but not the same way where he's like a monster defensively, but just more of that savviness, that IQ was taking over for him. And it was really awesome to see him do that. And it was a big part of why they won that game. But Milwaukee, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the adjustment they make out of this. Maybe they start Portis. Uh, maybe they go Giannis at the five at some points and just switch the pick and rolls because they were getting torched when Brooke Lopez was dropping and he couldn't even contest a lot of the mid-range jumpers that were being taken by guys like Mike James, Kyrie, and KD. So the adjustment has to be made. I'm sure we'll see it. Although Budenholzer does have a tendency to not make those adjustments. Whereas I saw Steve Nash was willing to try any, everything. He's been really great this season and an underrated part of why Brooklyn's had so much success. So I want to shout out our Canadian guy. Good job, Steve. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't, where it's almost expected to all fall apart. But then if it doesn't, it, he's just been a very quiet name or like not something I've heard much talking about Brooklyn's success, which obviously the big three is a pretty huge narrative, but that's him being the head coach is probably my favorite part of the Nets doing well. So. Yes, I love it. All right. We'll move on to our last series, which gets going tomorrow night. And that is between the Denver Nuggets and the aforementioned Phoenix Suns who knocked off the Los Angeles Lakers this one is going to be really, really fun. It's two teams that have guys on the up looking to break into that new level of conversation. And then, of course, you've got Chris Paul in there, too, who has never made it past the Western Conference Finals. He was very close uh, in 2018 with the Rockets before that injury in Game 6. Um, and now he's got a great running mate in Devin Booker and a Big and DeAndre Aiden, who's playing way above his pay grade right now from what was expected of him going into the playoffs. And Aiden's in tough because Nikola Jokic is on another level right now. It seems like he's even turned it up from the MVP level he was playing all season. I think he averaged 35 and 10 in the first round, um, 10 being rebounds, of course. But as we know, he'll pick you apart with his passing. And if you look at what the starting lineup is for this Denver, like them beating Portland is crazy. 
because you've got Austin Rivers, Facundo Campazzo, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr. And the starter, as I called it. Yeah. And the and the starters earlier in the season were Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Paul Millsap. So a complete change from the last time these two teams have played. Yet Jokic is just the heliocentric mastermind that just runs everything and it's so so awesome and it's crazy how he hasn't broken down yet because he's playing so many minutes and he's carrying so much weight around the court but it's effortless and it's really really awesome and I think a key for this series is Jokic is going to have to take on Aiton who is a big dude in his own right but it might be a little bit of savvy where Jokic is drawing Aiton into foul trouble and then when there's no Aiton there's nothing else for the Suns at center Frank Kaminsky, not in the same weight class. Dario Sarge, not in the same weight class. So if you're the Suns, you really have to rely on Aiton to be disciplined and strong defensively, and that is worrisome if you're Phoenix. But at the same time, Aiton has outperformed your expectations and done very, very well against the Lakers team that supposedly had the size advantage. So on the other side, Aiton is so mobile that he may be able to expose Jokic in the pick and roll when uh, you have Paul and Booker operating there and, and going two-on-one against Jokic. Uh, I think they can really feast in that environment and make Jokic work a lot so his offense becomes harder. Yeah, I you said most of it. You saw Nurkic getting into that same sticky situation. I think he fouled out in like almost all the games. Uh, yeah, I... With Aiton, I'm very curious to see. I feel like on paper, the Suns should have all the answers for this Nuggets team. Aiton, a guy who no one can defend Jokic, but at least make his life as challenging as possible and keep reduce him to his little. And you saw like Lillard able to go off offensively. And you talked earlier about um, the Nuggets' like lack of guard defense and if the Blazers were able to do as much as they did, then you'd think Paul and Booker, especially after that game seven, will just be feasting. So I, for Aiton guarding Jokic, for Booker, just, we talked about on Doncic's coming out party, but like Devin Booker, I mean, he's been around for a lot longer, but like regular season performance versus playoff performance and so far in the very little playoff time booker has had he's shown that he's really been polishing the abilities so i like phoenix for this series despite Jokic's amazing heliocentric uniqueness mm-hmm. there's only uh so many things one man can do and i think the suns are just gonna have too many weapons to throw at this team I'm in agreement with you there. Booker has been sensational, scoring at all three levels. Um, I am interested to see. I imagine Denver's going to throw Aaron Gordon at Booker, so a lot of size and length to deal with, whereas Booker was more so on like KCP or Caruso. Maybe smaller guards were matching up against him, so Aaron Gordon's going to be a physical size presence that might give him some troubles. But again, Chris Paul, Devin Booker are going to run that pick and roll so well. Um on the other end, Porter is going to have to be a flamethrower again in this series, and you're going to have to rely on Austin Rivers, Campazzo, Monte Morris, who was awesome, by the way, in that series. But those guys to consistently make big shots, and there's a reason why they're not starters. Um, so it is going to have to rely, again, on Jokic 
basically going 35 and 10 again in the series. And while I think he can do that in the end, the ability to control the game, um, Chris Paul really like managing the tempo and this being his best shot to really make it deep in, in the playoffs. I think Phoenix just has the overwhelming team advantage uh, as a whole, and they play great defense and have made Jokic's life difficult in the regular season. So I think the magic of Jokic is so awesome. It, it's going to end this round, but I can definitely see him alone taking two games, uh, but I have Phoenix in six for this one. Yeah, I, I think the bench players will give some production, just there will be a couple games where they let them down a little too much. Yeah, I apologize. Uh, we oh yes what's up no yeah. i was about to say the same thing we've got one more to go eh yeah i i i almost skipped right over it and and i shouldn't have because we got a surprising result today the atlanta hawks taking game 1 this afternoon in philadelphia embiid was playing he had 39 points he looked pretty solid uh but atlanta <laughs> it was just every single guy had target finder activated in this game i think they were 16 of 31 by like the early fourth quarter. And if you hit around 23s in a game, you're kind of going to win no matter what happens, right? Like it just, that's the thing. You live by three, die by the three. And Atlanta has the shooters and the skilled players. And the weakness of Philadelphia is very apparent in this game is they do not have the perimeter offense to match with some of these high octane teams. Whereas you can throw Tybal, you can throw Simmons, Danny Green at defenders, but no, no, none of those guys are, creators of their own perimeter shot you're not going to have those guys hitting threes off the dribble in a pick and roll or mid-range shots it's they're basically defenders and then Simmons is incredible in transition and Danny Green's a spot-up shooter and Thibel is just kind of a bit of a no-show on the offensive side so they've had difficulties when you're running a lot of your offense through Seth Curry there's only a certain ceiling that your team can reach and again Embiid is having to work for a lot of his points. He's still going to put up a ton, but Clint Capella is, is no slouch as a defender of, of Joel Embiid. And then on the other side, Trey Young continues his marvelous run so far. His first playoff run, he looks like he completely belongs. Another 35 and 10 from him, really, really special. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich with a couple of big, 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 big shots late in this game because Atlanta faced their true, like, pressure obviously they lost one of the games in madison square garden but the philly crowd was rocking they had this huge like 20 point lead they were giving it up it was within five and they had a couple turnovers on the inbounds they got stripped double team trying to put the game away bogdanovich had a big three couple big free throws this game should not have been a four point game and if you're philly you have to feel really good about the fact that you probably came into this game a little lackadaisical Atlanta springs on you with a ton of hot shooting. You know that's going to regress back to the mean. And then with the crowd behind you, you can definitely uh, get into the space of this Atlanta team and cause them to make turnovers. And I think Philly is going to come out and, and dominate game two. But Atlanta is showing that they're going to hang in there. And I worry about Embiid's health as the series goes along. I imagine he's going to knock on what I imagine he's going to re-aggravate that knee injury and that could really change things. So I think I'm going to go Atlanta in this series just because of, again, similar to the Knicks, 
Obviously, Philly has more one-on-one defenders, but Atlanta seems to have the overwhelming, like, matched-up, side-by-side shot creation talent of a Herter, a Bogdanovich, a Trey Young, even Gallinari, right? Just guys that can create a shot for themselves, and that is really important come playoff times. It's, it's going to come down to Embiid, but I might have to, I'm going with Atlanta here because of what they've shown in this game one. Damn. Yeah. I did a double take checking in on the game. I saw the score was something like 50 to 29. And I looked at the clock and I saw like nine minutes left in the second quarter. And I thought my screen was broken or something to have put up like near 50 in about 14 minutes. That doesn't seem like something you can do four or five games in a row. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I totally overreacted. I'm sticking Philly in six. That's what I said last podcast. Don't let me, don't let these game one swings change my picks. I'm still Philly. I'm going back on it. (laughs) Damn. Um, There was a YouTube comment I found pretty interesting saying like Embiid plays Hawks in seven. Embiid doesn't play Hawks in five. Embiid played. He put up 39 points. So I hard to do much better than that and the hawks still pull it out with that ridiculous first 14 15 minutes i i'm not making a pick on this series i'm just voicing thoughts i find interesting but yeah it you couldn't really ask for much of a better game one but the 76ers have to at least feel like they know they're the better fourth quarter team and if there's not a 30 point gap in the game then most of the time, the better fourth quarter team is going to win. There, Yeah, it's going to be a firestorm in Philly tomorrow. I imagine it is uh, a little bit of panic time and, and people are going to ask for Simmons's head because he just, he no-shows in some of these games. Whereas like he's giving great defensive effort, but you're, one of your top two guys has to, like they both kind of have to score in this day and age. It's a, it's a make or miss league, which is a terrible thing. That's such a cop-out way of, of making a take, but it, there's a reason why it's a saying. And, yep. and Simmons needs to be able to make shots. And if he's not being aggressive like he was in the beginning of the third quarter, then he doesn't give that same value as someone like a Trey Young or a Bogdan Bogdanovich. Just hit me like what? ridiculous polar opposites we have in the matchup of Trey Young and Ben Simmons like the tiny point guard who can't play defense and is like an absolute flamethrower on offense versus like the huge one who can't really shoot but like light out lights out defender yep couldn't set it better myself looking forward to the second round series Um, the basketball is just going to continue to ratchet up the intensity Really looking forward to it. We will take a quick break now and come back to talk some hockey. And we're back. And believe it or not, we are not just a basketball podcast as much as it might seem otherwise these days. Uh, how's your hockey fatigue, buddy? Still there. I, it's, I don't know. It's going to take a while to get back into it. Um, it's up. When you're following the number of sports that we follow, you kind of got to pick and choose what you're putting your time into because of the also the, the the lives that we lead outside of sports so um hockey's been on the back burner a little bit still following the results um hopefully have a little bit of insight but 
for now, uh, yeah, it's been it's been definitely a secondary watch for me. Yeah, it. I think it also takes a round. Like I'm sure the third round will be a little more compelling, but that feeling of the immediate letdown of we're not in this series that we could and should be in is a bit tough. And I also feel you on the sports fatigue. I'm I'm still following MMA. I'm like. I spent some of the day like watching fights I missed last night, but like just not in it enough to be calling it. But yeah, we, we pick up what we can and we'll share what we've got to pick up. Um, maybe the most disappointing part of the hockey fatigue is the timing with this Vegas Colorado series, which has been very interesting so far. Uh, and now at two one, I think Colorado blowing out Vegas in game one takes away a little from what a close series this seems like and the abs with or excuse me the Golden Knights with a huge comeback to make it a 2-1 series and not go down 3-0 which would have spelt the end really but that's hockey eh? how many times like oh just one goal two times and then suddenly momentum's completely changed absolutely it was it was a game that they needed to win because they were dominant in. And now going back, I think it's five periods in a row where Vegas has just looked like the better team. Um, and the tide is slowly turning in this series. It looks like they're starting to figure out Colorado after the avalanche jumped on them. Um, and you could imagine there's a little bit of fatigue there for Vegas coming off just from the Minnesota series right into Colorado, who is a really, really strong team. But Vegas is starting to pick things up. They've got game four uh, in Las Vegas at T-Mobile Arena with basically a full crowd behind them. Uh, They're starting to pull themselves back in the series. It was really, really big for the momentum, though, to get that goal from Marcia So and and Pacioretty to turn things around. And uh, I think they're absolutely back in this. They're too good of a team to let this be over quickly and Colorado's going to have to figure things out because Vegas has made an obvious adjustment and Colorado needs to counter adjust. Yeah. And I think the only points coming from that top line are off the power play so far on Colorado's end. So we talked about Vegas's first line, but Colorado is what, like they're clearly getting scoring, but uh, yeah, like Rantanen's goal came on the power play. I'm pretty sure the other night, I don't think five on five, that top line has produced anything yet or if it was, it was in the first game. So there's another point of intrigue. So it is interesting because that could be either attributed to something Vegas has been doing, or you're just waiting, oh no, McKinnon hasn't had a big five-on-five game yet, and now he's going to put up a Hattie in game four, right? It could really go either way. And from Leafs trauma, we know that we tend to lean more towards Oh, they figured them out. Nothing's going to happen. But it seems like other teams actually have top lines that can produce, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's uh, the defense of Vegas was a big narrative going in, so for me at least. So want to return to earlier talking points there. And that's what happens in a lot of playoff series though, right? Like the, the focus is all on these certain players and that leaves holes for other players to take advantage of and it's a bit of a chess match back and forth so i agree that vegas seems to have made the adjustments and now it's on the avalanche to make the counter adjustments but hopefully 
they take another game or two to do that and we get like a nail biter seven game series and maybe that's exactly what the doctor ordered to cure this hockey fatigue absolutely that i i would be down for that uh the other juggernaut series that is turning out to be a little bit more one-sided than we had initially thought uh, the carolina hurricanes who i had picked in this series are now down three to one like to tampa bay and all 10 goals of this game were scored in the second period um so that's a long period to get through uh for the carolina home fans and tampa bay just stamkos with two kucherov with two the the big boys are taking over and tampa's been here done that just such a really solid team man there's not much more to say about that they've just been really really impressive yeah, I, I still see no reason why they can't go back to back this year i realize i don't actually know what the third round uh playoff matchups look like so they'll they'll reseed based on who's left um i know the avalanche are the one seed as they were the president's trophy winners i think it's just based on overall record so vegas would probably be the two seed uh i think what it could look like now if we just go who's winning the current series and then i guess just pick a random one between boston and new york uh i imagine it would be Colorado facing off against Montreal and then it would be Tampa Bay against Boston or the Islanders would be the uh the setup there so yeah that that would be ideal Tampa versus the winner of Vegas Colorado I feel like is the best Stanley Cup playoffs you can ask for though maybe I'm counting out these Bruins and Islanders teams who are going punch for punch right now yeah head to head Taylor Hall has been great. Um, and now looking back, you wonder if the Leafs could have got him, but we've already touched on that. So we'll keep going. Um, I guess more Leafs talk, really. Like this series has been so even so far. Um, each team getting a boost from their home fans in one capacity or another. Also, some big clutch moments from Marshawn, from Matt Barzell. And to tie it back to the Leafs, it's, it's if you're Mitch Marner, you should just sit in front of a TV and watch Barzal tape all offseason because it's a similar type of game, right? A perimeter-oriented, really skilled, smaller forward, but Barzal completely drives the offense of this Islanders team and seems to even turn it up in the playoffs, whereas Marner in the last couple series has seemed to disappear offensively at least. And so if you're Marner, you're looking, what is Barzal doing? Is he driving the net a little bit more? Is he using his body in this position? Is he... Uh, how is he responding to the physicality that the playoffs brings? Because he's really, really special and um, a really, really like the most important part, I would say, besides the goaltending of, of why the Islanders continue to make it to the second round every year. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, where are we at on Jets? All right, we got a minute 36 left in the Jets-Canadians game and the Canadians are up 5-1. So I think we can just makes me more angry. I'm trying to get away from the Leafs here, but that was a really bad segue to do so on. The the Montreal Canadiens, who we should have beat, are now up three nothing against the Winnipeg Jets in this series. Utter dominance. Winnipeg cannot get anything going. And I imagine the Leafs would have run this team as well. Yeah, the Jets looking like the team that blew the almost in first place spot in the regular season and slid down to third uh, that we temporarily forgot because they 
steamroll the Oilers before getting steamrolled themselves. But Carey Price has been too good for them to find consistent answers on. They get one a couple, but he's getting better as the series goes on, it seems like. Um, not a lot of secondary third options. They really have to try and bottle lightning multiple times in a night. They're not getting the consistent offense that they need going. And uh, this Canadians team can be really quiet or really loud offensively, but like all, all four lines can score. Their top four defense can contribute to the offense. You don't know if it, it doesn't really feel like they have a top line. You can make an argument that Corey Perry and Eric Stahl are in their top line, the way like the point production has been coming from those guys. Guys like Nick Suzuki, Anderson are good for like a surprising show. Tyler Toffoli, probably their most consistent goal scorer, but uh, there's a pretty damn good chance the Montreal Canadiens going to be one of the top four teams in the playoffs this year and uh Carey Price I've seen that coming three months ago. No, no, not even close. Carey Price deserves all of the praise in the world. It's truly a vintage performance from him. Um he if if Montreal even makes it to the final, he should be in the conversation for Con Smythe because it's truly remarkable what he's done turning back the clock after a couple of rough regular seasons. Um, he just seems to turn it up in the playoffs. It's, it's, it's truly incredible. And um, he is the main reason why they're here now and, and why they will be advancing at some point if they advance and a reason why they are having all the success that they're having in this postseason. It's truly like we're going to get the stops. Now let's scrape together this full team effort um, and just squeak out wins and, all the credits due to Montreal because that's what they've done, but it just, it, it hurts my soul every time I take a look at them, even just playing in, in second round hockey. What did uh, Jimmy Butler say at one point in this regular season? Like just get us to the playoffs. That's all I ask of my team. Then I'll take it from there. I didn't age well, but uh, basically what Carey Price. Yeah. Has been doing and because Jake Allen was the starter for the second half of the season. Essentially. Yeah. And now the question that going up three, nothing, it's pretty hard to imagine they lose this series at this point. And the question now is, do they have another upset in them? It was definitely an upset against the Leafs. This Jets series probably was a lot more 50, 50 going in Um, the Jets noticeably weak on the blue line whoever they play, whether it's the Islanders, the Bruins, Vegas, Colorado, Tampa, I don't think it'll be Carolina, but none of those teams have a weak blue line. So the offense is probably going to get a lot harder to come by. And we have, this has been a playoffs, especially in the Canadian division of exposure. The Edmonton Oilers got exposed for having paper thin offense behind McDavid. The Winnipeg Jets are now getting absolutely exposed for not having a solid enough defensive core. The Toronto Maple Leafs have been exposed as a cursed hockey team once again. Uh, I can easily see in the third round the Montreal Canadiens getting exposed for 
being Carey Price, some great defenders, and then some guys who just find a way to score goals, but will go quiet as they did at times during the regular season. But at the same time, all you really need to win a Stanley Cup is a really hot goaltender. So I'm conflicted here between feeling like it could be very cool to be in the city of Montreal as the Habs go on a playoff tear and wanting this team that has, well, really, it's just another drop in the ocean, but like brutalized my Leafs uh, wanting to see them suffer. So I'm going to sit on that fence and I'll let people know which way I fall. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I I don't know, man. I just, I don't know what to say at this point. It's, they get to go to the States and they get to host American teams. They're doing the exemption. The Canadian government granted them. So that's great that they won't have to play in the States. It's awesome for Montreal. Happy for them. But we'll, we'll, we'll see how far it goes. I, I mean, what, what's better than getting to kill Shifley in game six, not having you to see him again, right? So I'm sure that's what they're going for. All righty. We will take one last break and come back to wrap up the show uh, with a couple of other notes from other sports. And we're back sports next door uh, to wrap it up. A couple notes extra here. Uh, shout out the team Canada D team for winning the gold medal at the IIHF uh, world championships. Andrew Mangiapane, the leading scorer for that team, uh, third liner for the Calgary Flames, if that says anything. But after three straight losses, two of which to Latvia and Germany, the Canadians squeak into the to the elimination bracket, beat Russia, beat USA, beat Finland, more than earned this gold medal. Big ups to our boys uh, out there making the, the Canadian flag proud and reclaiming the sport that is truly ours. So shout out to the boys there. Um, in baseball news, the Toronto Blue Jays drop a series two to one to the Houston Astros, a team that is one of the top teams in the league. Tough. They had an opportunity to make up some ground this week as the Red Sox and Yankees are playing this weekend, which is a bit one-sided by the way, the Red Sox have been dominant. And then the Rays, just don't seem to lose. They lose Blake Snell, their top starter from last season. They lose Charlie Morton, who was great in their rotation. And then they just find new guys to come in and just be great. <laughs> and that's what the way Tampa has been the last couple of years. It's, it's truly a shame that they don't have the same fan base and same stadium accessibility, because this is a team that deserves a large market fan base with the success that they've had. Uh, it would be fun if this team was the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, uh, whoever else you want to put in there, even Toronto, right? We have big followings when the Jays teams are successful. And this Rays team has just continued to win over the last decade and, and maybe not getting the, the limelight that they deserve. Even when they were in the World Series last year, no one was picking them. Um, but all they do is win, man. All they do is win. Uh, I guess... Anything else before we get to uh, the last part of this podcast, Max? Anything else you want to throw in here from the wild world of sports? Uh, the last part being? Our boxing predictions. Mm. Yeah, I 
the French Open has still been going on and I have still sort of been following <laughs> it. I keep feeling like the exciting matches are just around the corner. And so far, for the most part, on the men's side of the draw, at least for sure, the big names just continue to win in pretty dominant fashion. I mean, in the first round, the second round, you don't think too much of it. Like, of course, they're going to be blowing out like 6-4, kind of the highest score you expect to see. But at this point, we're in the fourth round now. Whoever they're playing have had to pick up some wins and some of them difficult and are playing great hot tennis in one of the biggest tournaments in the world. So no easy opponents at this point in the draw, but the big guns just continue to blaze through. Uh, Nadal, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, all just kind of making light work. Uh, I've been catching a lot of Tsitsipas's games actually, and he's looked fantastic. Uh, playing Isner, like this terrifying giant American, and making pretty light work of him. And uh, his matchup, I think it was this morning against like the 12th seed in the world. Again, just very dominant scores. Uh, the Rafa magic has been fantastic to watch whenever and catch whenever I can. I think Djokovic has been cruising even more than Rafa. So I'm really excited to just see these guys match up against each other. And then one thing that did catch my eye on the women's side of the draw was the girl who beat Bianca Andreescu in the first round is still in the draw and has advanced to the quarters semis, which is like, I believe she's Slovenian and this will be the first time a Slovenian has ever advanced that far in a Grand Slam. Uh, her, it starts with a Z. I'm not even going to try to butcher it, but maybe feels a le little better for Bianca and congratulations to her. I feel like I keep saying awesome tennis ahead, but this time I really mean it. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about Osaka at all? I'm pretty conflicted. I'm I'm empathetic to the situation, but I stand as when you sign up to be this athlete that gets paid millions and millions of dollars, it's just part of the the job is to do media. And there, there can, there's got to be a way where we can reach a resolution where she feels comfortable doing media. And, and it's something that she actually wants to do. But at the same time, it's something that everyone's had to deal with forever and ever. And it, it's just not something that's going to leave. And it's not something you can just skip out on, right? It's all these, all these athletes have had their finds and had their moments. And um, she's just having hers now. Obviously, it's affecting her a lot harder. And I, again, I'm sympathetic to that. And we, I stand behind her. But um, it's not going to change what the requirement is because all of these journalists have jobs to do and they have to make a living as well. And, and you have to show up for them because that's just what your job entails. Yeah. I, I mean, when they call us the fragile generation, it's stuff like this they're talking about, right? And you hit the nail on the head perfectly in that they've been doing this forever and it's not anything new. So it, it's not the system that's changing. It's the players in it. Ultimately, as a consumer, I just want to watch the best tennis I can. And anything that gets in the way of that, I feel somewhat irritated towards. So that is a bit, there is that side of me that's like, but 
yeah, so many players are doing this. And I actually love Osaka's interviews. Like she always has this kind of breathless humility on you can tell just like the answers aren't robotic. Like they're coming to her head and coming out of her mouth, like all very in the moment. And yeah, you don't have to be great at press. Like we talked about uh, Serena Williams and like her career of like storming off, breaking down in interviews. So ultimately I do feel like it's something you have to manage and like toughen up, don't be so fragile. But there is also that part of me that's like, fuck man, I just want to watch the best players in the world play tennis. Like how hard can that be to make happen? Yeah, I you said it well, and I guess we can leave it there. Uh, we will finish up with our prediction for tonight. And again, not our favorite thing to talk about, but it is a big deal. Uh, so Max, who do you got? Give me, I, what is it, eight rounds? So yeah. we'll assume that. I, I don't actually know if it's eight I, rounds, but I, give I, me your uh, your victor or outcome and, and I guess round if, if you have a, an, a finish happening. Yeah, I I can see Mayweather getting a stoppage in like the six to eight mark. Uh, I very vaguely remember watching Logan fight KSI in like the pro one, and he did kind of look like he gassed. That's this is what Mayweather does. He takes these fights where there's the stuff. It's like, oh, he's got this, he's got that. This is why he might beat him. But ultimately, it's a guy who has made an entire life out of not getting punched in the face and is quite good at it. And I, I think a big guy like Paul, I, I have no idea how seriously he's taken the training and what kind of shape he's in, but I, he probably huffs and puffs and swings and Mayweather doesn't get hit and then puts it on him later. If eight rounds is a little interesting because, uh, if Paul had like the cardio to stay aggressive for four rounds and get up on the scorecards, then it could put a bit of pressure on Mayweather. But I, I, I think Connor took like one or two rounds off Mayweather. So I doubt Paul does much better than that. Well, so there's the problem there is they're not scoring this fight. There's no, there's mm. not going to be a winner announced unless there's a knockout. Okay. So I, the, the three outcomes I see are, and Logan Paul shocked the world early round knockout when he is swinging for the fences. Then it's a Floyd Mayweather clinical six, seven, eighth round KO because he's just worn him out and he does want to finish it so he can say he won rather than letting it go to the third alternative, which is just they kind of mess around. No one really hits each other. They get to the end and it's no winner is announced. And then everyone just talks about who they think won. And so I, I want to lean towards that one because that's what I went with for what was the other fight. Um, Tyson and, and yeah. uh, Roy Jones. I actually called that one, the, the, the quote unquote tie, but I think Floyd's ego is too big and I don't think he'll let it get to the end. He's going to try and knock out Logan Paul. So I have Floyd Mayweather with a knockout in the eighth round. Yeah. I'll, from seventh just to switch it up but ultimately that Floyd Mayweather's entire career has been 
I'm gonna make you think this guy has a chance when he really doesn't. And it just in terms of boxing experience, it would be pretty embarrassing to not be able to finish Logan Paul. So I, someone on Twitter said like Floyd Mayweather rarely puts himself in a position to be embarrassed. And as much as the behind the scenes magic is trying to make you think like, oh, maybe this will be the time, I doubt it. We shall see. Either way, it'll be a fun outcome. Uh, actually, unless they just go to the end, I don't think I see that happening. Logan That's Paul why looks not jacked, man. My money. I think. I think. I think he uh, trained. I think they're both taking it pretty seriously, and they're training hard. That means little when it comes to truly fighting a boxer, but uh, yeah, we'll see. It'll be a fun outcome, and got Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley on the docket in the next couple of months too, which I guess we'll have something to say about once we get there. The man's going to convince the entire half the world that he could knock out a boxing champion without ever actually like fighting a boxer or boxing a boxer. That's all I've got to say about that. All right. Well, thanks everyone once again for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday and then into the week. Hope you have a great week. Um, But that's it for us. Enjoy the playoffs. I guess try to enjoy this fight if you're watching it. Enjoy the French Open. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy life, man. It's great. Live it. Live in the moment. Take it in. Someone time traveled me back to Vine. I really should have got on Vine. Sports Next Door signing out.